host, Rob Wallen. Every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, we live stream for 30 minutes, and we cover topics relating to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups that bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to value and maintain healthy relationships. We believe that showing up every day and shipping that next feature, piece of marketing coffee, closing your next sale is the way to build a sustainable company. We don't ask for permission to start companies. We build and ship real products, sell to real customers who pay us real money. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me again this week. We took last week off due to the U.S. elections. Felt like our attention and most other folks' attention were dedicated to that, but we're back heading heading into the rest of the year. Today, I'm going to be talking with a really interesting founder about how a team of five co-founders of a bootstrap product, how they mitigate platform risk and how they manage and deal with being five co-founders because it's a, a really unique situation to be in. So my guest today is Shar, oh man, he had, he pronounced his last name for me and I even wrote it phonetically and I'm still struggling with it, Durafshu. Yeah, yeah, Durafshu. I think that's close. We'll ask him once he comes out, but Shar Durafshu, he is uh, Durafshu Shar on Twitter and he is the co-founder and the CEO of ServiceBot, so that's servicebot.io and he, he, Shar has been a designer and DevOps architect in the past. For the past five years, he's been focused on subscriptions, online payments, and Stripe. And his vision is to make it easier for SaaS businesses to charge recurring revenue. ServiceBot was born about three years ago in 2017. And the idea behind it is to make it easier and faster for SaaS businesses to charge recurring revenue. So many SaaS or digital agencies spend week or months, weeks or months developing all the customer-facing billing pages required to allow customers to subscribe to plans, manage subscriptions, update cards, and so on. And ServiceBot is a UI toolkit. So it's a series of screens. UI toolkit, it's built on top of Stripe billing, and it allows Stripe businesses to self-service, self-serve their customers, subscription customers without code. And they have embeddable billing pages that they have built. And so I'd love to welcome Shar to the show, calling in from Berkeley, California. How are you doing, sir? Hi, Rob. How are you? Great to have you on, man. So Great to kick to us you. off, there's a lot of, if you're in MicroConf Connect, please feel free to ask questions. I have questions queued up, of course, but we love to hear live participation from the audience and, and from the listeners, microconfconnect.com if you're not in there. My first question for you is I've seen, I believe that I've seen tools like ServiceBot in the past, the subscription management platforms. And what comes to mind for me is Chargeify, Chargebee, Recurly, and a few others. Can you tell me how you're different than those options? Absolutely, absolutely. To answer that, let's take a look at the kind of subscription market in the past decade. Stripe billing did not exist back in 2018 and Chargeify, Recurly, Chargebee, they were all in, in the verge of getting traction and they were the only subscription management tools out there. So they used tools like Stripe payments to run their subscriptions. And when Stripe billing came out, it was a direct competitor to these tools. The way that we see ourselves is that all the billing logic, all the things that actually handles the subscriptions, charging the customer, managing refunds, cards, all the billing data itself is offloaded to Stripe in our case. We don't actually handle any of the billing cases. We're purely a user interface platform on, on, on top of Stripe. From that aspect, we we can we're pretty lean to adapt any features that Stripe is is releasing and being able to allow our customers to show those to their end customers instantly almost. 
Got it. Okay. So just to define terms in case someone's watching and they're wondering what Stripe Payments and Stripe Billing is, Stripe Payments is just an API to charge a credit card one time, right? I want to have this card number and a CVV and I'm going to charge $20 to it. Stripe Billing is subscription billing. Is that correct? Or at least I know it has invoices and such, but is that how you would loosely that define is correct. it? That is, okay. that, that is and, correct. And, and that's, yeah. You got it. You can keep going. Yeah, so Stripe billing, so still today, a lot of the SaaS companies who are running their self-serve subscriptions, they still have the Stripe account and they have something like Chargebee or Chargeify and they're using both platforms at the same time. The problem with that is one, you're, you're getting double charged for the same kind of functionality because Stripe already has those functionalities. And it's only been about a two, two, two and a half years since Stripe came out with the billing product. So it's constantly improving and adding a lot of these features that the subscription management tools used to have into the Stripe platform. Got it. And so what you're saying is Chargeify, Recurly, they are more competitive with Stripe billing than they are exactly. with you. Isn't that the idea? Exactly. So has anyone exactly. else, are there any other competitors that are doing what you're doing right now? Or are you first to market in this? Unfortunately, we are first to market for the exact to the specific niche that we're going after. If you look at the no-code market, there are tools that are out there right now who who do similar things but target different audiences. Like someone like MemberStack is handling kind of user interface of billing. They also sit on top of Stripe, but also on top of Webflow. They have user auth system in place. They are really good for content gating membership type of site, not necessarily SaaS. A lot of SaaS platforms either have a custom SaaS application they've built or they're using some sort of a no-code tool like Bubble or app builders to, to build those. And, and they ha those tools have their own authentication system in place. The difference between us and any other user interface tool is that we sit on top of your existing platform and connect to your user management. Meaning if you have a SaaS and you let your customers sign up to come to SaaS, these are, this is actually the number one use case that we handle. You either have a freemium model or a free trial model in most cases when you have SaaS. You get the customer to sign up, get into the product after 13 days or after th that one feature that you want them to upgrade, you want to show them like a plan picker. You want to show them the plans that they are available to them to subscribe. And once they do subscribe, you want them to manage that subscription. That needs to work with your existing user login, meaning, meaning we need to detect exactly who it is that is logged in if they already have subscribed to a plan. And if they haven't, you show the pricing. If they have, you show the uh, subscription management. So th these are the kind of differences that they each serve different uh, market and, and per persona. Yeah, got it. And on your homepage, your headline, your H1 is self-serve subscriptions with Stripe in minutes. And then right below that, it's no code embeddable billing pages that help online businesses monetize easier and faster. So you're an embeddable you have a series of embeddable pages or embeddable widgets that I could put within my SaaS app. So the customer shouldn't have any idea that they are using your service. It's not like they're redirected off to a different subdomain. And is this accomplished via, is it like a JavaScript snippet that I install and then you render on the client? That's correct. Got it. Okay. That's correct. Cool. Which, which gives so that gives you me an the idea. flexibility to... Yeah, which gives you the flexibility to brand it to your own so the end customer doesn't even know that this is from ServiceBot. It, it looks, you know, identical to your brand. 
Okay. So now that I had that, I was trying to get my head around the product around, cause you can tell right away, I'm thinking, oh, why, how is this not Chargeify? And it's obvious that you're not even that similar to Chargeify at all. But I think the next question, the obvious question is five co-founders. I, I literally don't think I've heard, I know of one or two bootstrap companies that have three. And I believe producers, Andrew, if we have the screenshot of the state of independent SaaS survey from either last year or this year, we have, there's literally out of 1500 respondents there. Yeah. There's just a few that have three or f I think we put four or more because no one ever has five <laughs> co-founders, but the interesting thing that we'll touch on as we're looking at this graph shows founder count versus MRR growth per month over the life of the product. And if you look at it, the more, it's just a straight linear curve that the more founders, co-founders bootstrapped or mostly bootstrapped startup has, the faster the, the revenue growth. So with all that couched, why five? How'd you get there? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I also wonder if that chart, uh, like if they're first time founder or second time founder, it would make any difference. But for us, I, I think the, the, the story that put, put us together was, Every single co-founder was a great friend of mine from sometime in the past, either job or school. So we have our product engineer who does a lot of the front-end pieces, who I met in high school the first day of school in 2003, and we kicked it off. We took programming languages to, uh, classes together. Then our CTO was someone I met in a very small startup in DC that I worked early 2012. Kevin, our customer success, he... He was a friend of mine who finished CompSci and our design director, who happened to be my sister. So the team, we initially put it together to build a consulting firm to build SaaS products for, for businesses to, to figure out how we can earn some recurring revenue off of services once we do finish the product. And after a year of doing that in 2016, we realized like upselling and, and allowing customers to go through the billing process themselves was a pain and just like i mentioned the, these subscription billing tools weren't really as developed as they were at the time so the first two years from 2017 to end of 2018 it was us really learning the market not knowing to be how to be a founder made every single mistake in the books and build an open source platform built something very similar to charge me and chargeify that are today and in 2019, we took all that learning. We took the 5% of what we've built that people actually needed and we pivoted into building what the product is today. So the, the actual product, actual business was launched September, 2019. So about a year and a month or two ago. Yeah. What a trip. So if I were to start a SaaS company, even if I knew four other people who I think would be a fit for it. I would, my gut would be to either do it myself as the founder and have them be like first employees or founding engineers, or to, if one of them, maybe my sister, if I specifically really knew I got along with her to make her a co-founder and everyone else again, be like, the, the term founding engineer is pretty common. Someone who's there from day one, but they're not a co-founder. Cause that's such a, it, it's a lofty title. It's like being married to a lot of people. It's like having a marriage of a lot of people. You know, it's not that weird, but it is, there's a lot of voices and such there. So why go into it as five co-founders rather than structuring it, you know, slightly differently? Absolutely. My whole theory into this was, listen, I love building stuff. I love making something that makes an impact. And I think if I have four other people who are pretty talented, I can get there faster. 
and I'm not doing it for the money because if I was trying to make money to build a SaaS, that's the worst way of making money, I think. There's much easier ways to do it. There were, of course, a lot of challenges into how to split the shares, how to actually the, have the task split between the people because the hats changed. It's, we had a pretty the, the technical heavy team and that team had to, at least members of the team had to get out of their comfort zone, learn marketing, learn these skill sets that they didn't actually had any clue how to do. But we kept it like a family. We kept it very close and vulnerable. And I think that helped us a lot in, in building something together that makes us happy rather than making it feel like a chore. And that, that is interesting. You brought up dividing the shares. I think that's probably a big question on a lot of listeners' minds. In fact, I get pulled into at least one conversation a month and maybe more, whether it's on Slack or someone emails me directly and they say, I have a really good marketer and I want to give him or her equity. How do you decide to go about this? And it's always this, it depends, but here's some loose rules of thumb. Where's your MRR? Where are you at? Are you going to go big and raise funding? Are you going to be bootstrapped? All this stuff weighs into it. How did you approach that with five people to possibly divide up equity in a way that, that hopefully makes everyone feel okay about it? Yeah, that was probably one of the toughest hurdles to go through. It wasn't easy to say the least. We thought about what the role was at the time and every, every founder have a very significant part of the, the, the share of the company at the moment. And I don't, I, I think that's okay if you're a first time founder. That's okay if you're you're trying to, because it's more about the learning experience, about the journey that you're learning how to build the SaaS. If I stop working on ServiceBox today, I can, I learned so much that I can build any other tool as long as I understand the market. I do my research, I talk, I build my audience. That learning process is, is much faster and easier and less burden to your lifestyle if, if you're working with five other people. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think the, I want to get into platform risk because I think that's a, a big concern that I would have in your shoes. But I, before we do that, I have a question about, I'm fascinated by this 5% number that you threw out. You said you worked on it for a year or two. You almost built a Chargeify in essence, or you built all that functionality. And then you said, we're going to take the 5% people need most and turn it into ServiceBot. How did you know, how, how did you come across that? And 5% or 10%, the number is unimportant, but how did you come across the feature set that you felt like this is what people actually need and, and leave out the other 90, 95% that you built? Yeah. So we only had a handful of customers at a time using that platform. And even with the handful, the technical overhead of supporting them was significant. So that's one of the reasons that the pivot itself was motivated by. How we picked those features was mainly from the hundreds of calls that we went through with SaaS businesses and, and co-founders who told us about what exactly their problem was. And it every time ended up being the onboarding flow of, hey, I have a freemium or free trial. and I want to have them self-serve their subscri subscriptions. We looked at it and the, the one thing that popped up was this thing called customer portal at the time. This is a year and a half ago. And we said, okay, how long does it take us to build it? It took about like two, we allocated about two months of time to polish something super small, but like hitting the right pain point that we've seen. We contacted all the people that told us had that problem before we launched. And that was the kickoff to, to a really good start of gaining like 20, 30 businesses who really needed it, who onboarded with us um, right away within the first few months. 
when you were building it, the five of you, were you working day jobs and building on the side? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Even till now, not all the founders are full time, but we do just kind of do a lot of consulting on the side, whichever founder that needs to be able to balance that lifestyle. That was one of the biggest challenges I would say. That's what I was going to ask today. That was my next question is, of the five founders, how many are working full-time at this point? And I think piggybacking on that, can you give us an idea of where the product is, whether you can give MRR, whether you can give customer count, just some idea at, to give us the stage? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the, the full-time piece, we have two full-time, two going full-time in February, and one who is consulting in, on, on the site. But but to be honest, we all put at least, you know, the 30, 40 hours a week on it, even with the side project, as you could imagine. Billing is a very complex product, I would say. Regarding the traction, I'm actually very open with, you know, sharing our numbers. I think that's important. We, starting ground zero on September, today we have 125 paying subscribers who are actually SaaS businesses who are using it, over 2,000 accounts. And I think about north of 12, 13K MRR at the moment. Good for you. Nice. That's a nice little bit of traction. So in terms of platform risk, you've built on top of Stripe and Stripe over the years has had a lot of folks build things like, let's say, bare metric, building metrics, and then Stripe slowly rolling out better and better metrics dashboards and Chargeify and recurly building subscription management and or you know subscription billing and then Stripe rolling it out, and I don't think Stripe is doing it uh, maliciously. It's just where I would take their product if I was running it too. There's a next logical Absolutely. step in a lot of this. So how do you think about the platform risk associated with what you've built, and as to whether Stripe are they gonna <laughs> are they gonna one day build essentially build what you've built and potentially hurt your business? Yeah, I think the keyword there is one day. But going back to your bare metrics example here, I think that's a great example. I think bare metrics, I think is a great product. I, I love what Josh has done and he actually sold yesterday. But I think bare metrics could have built a analytic tool that was an, on the cutting edge and had more features than it, it did to begin with. And pushing the boundaries against what Stripe actually came out with today. There's still a lot of features that Stripe does not have to date that I need myself to be able to track my metrics. I can't see my expansions, my contracts. I have to still go use something like ProfitWell, ChartMogul. And, and that being said, it really depends on the vision. So if you have a really big vision of making something happen, Sticking to a big whale stripe, it makes a lot of sense because you can move a lot faster. You can build things without actually having to take on the the heavy load of building the feature set themselves. You just the wave with them. So that's the mentality behind it. But looking at if Stripe's going to build it, maybe next two years, three years. But we love what they're doing. We we love the fact that they came out with a checkout and customer portal because those do handle some use cases that for personas that we don't actually work with. But what it does for us is it opens up the market so we can easily say what we are rather than building um, around the awareness piece of this is a no-code billing solution. If you look at the biggest competitor that we have today, it is not any of the products that are out there. It's actually the in-house integrations that people build with Stripe 
because they don't know that anything exists outside of that. So there's so much op uh, market opportunity, in my opinion. And I think being on top of the most powerful billing infrastructure in the internet is, is going to give us a lot of leeway to grow. We have a question in the chat from Pablo. He asks, do you ever find yourself voting to make decisions? Obviously, with the idea of, hey, if there's five co-founders and there's a big decision to be made, does it come down to voting or do you find consensus or do you have, as the CEO, have you had to, I assume, make a call that when there's not consensus? 100% voting every single time. There are very rarely, there are cases where there's a split between five people, that four people, and I, I would have to make the call. I, I think most of the time we all agree on the decisions. Got it. Next question is, have well, so with the platform risk in mind, have you encountered any instances where essentially Stripe has chipped away at your product value? Have they built any of your features yet to date? Yeah. So the customer portal, when that was released, obviously we, we had people who are asking us about it. But I, I also see that as a good thing for us because it pushed us to really focus on that persona that we were going after. If you're a solo founder, you have no uh, customers at the moment, you are somewhat technical. We tell you, you don't need to self-serve your subscriptions. That's not your problem. Your problem is you got to get out there and get your customers. So if you want to put something fast and you could just use the Stripe checkout and send an invoice to people and have them pay for it. If you're a larger SaaS business who is looking to self-serve because you're tired of sending manual invoices or managing the billing yourself or subscribing people, that's when you're actually going to find a lot of value into our products because they're, the, the bells and whistles that comes with it. For example, if someone churn, you want to know why they churn. That's part of the customer portal. That's part of allowing the, the user doing those modifications to your onboarding flow and, and your churn and retention that doesn't come out of a box with these tools. So yeah, yeah, I, I think it just aligns us more with our vision. Producer Xander spoke with you prior to this interview to get your story and shape some of these questions. And he mentioned to me that you've essentially launched a V2 of ServiceBot and that may have shifted responsibilities among the co-founders. You want to talk to me about that? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So two of the biggest changes was my sister, who was the designer, she handled the product design and the website. But after that was done, we don't need to stick with design. The, the necessity at the time was we need to put tutorials and how-to videos and content around like, how do you get value out of this product out there? And so as our CTO, he built a great infrastructure, but we really needed uh, someone who can write and put content out. So most of myself and the two other co-founders were really pushing the marketing um, lever at the moment. And the product and customer success seemed to be a great fit at the time. So those responsibilities did not change. Yeah, that's, I was going to ask you that, speaking of marketing, because you're the CEO, then you have a product engineer, a CTO, a customer success, and a design director. I would imagine on a team of, when I think of a, the ideal dream team for a SaaS app, you often have a developer, you often have maybe a designer, you have a subject matter expert, and you have someone who's good at marketing and or sales. And those are not, those are usually like one or two people. It's all crammed into just a couple, but you don't have anyone with a lot of, at least we've described a lot of marketing expertise on the team or do you, is, is that your role? 
that was supposed to be a co-founder's role, but we did not have the skill set. So we spent about a year. So I personally spent about a year and a half to just take marketing courses, learn exactly what it's all about, read, read the the books that you need to read about the positioning by April Donford, I totally recommend that the traction, obviously, that um, every founder should know about and, and learn exactly what it is all about and teach that to, to the co-founders who are going to moving towards the, the marketing path. And I think that was a great learning experience. That's one of those things that I can go start any business after this. And I'll be uh, very confident that I, I, I wouldn't make the same mistakes twice. Yeah, it's really nice to build that tool belt. I talk about that a lot because once you have that tool belt, you can apply it to your next app and your next app. And even if it's not an app, these days I don't run SaaS, but a lot of the branding, positioning, copywriting, the management stuff I use, I used to run, you know, help run MicroConf, run TinySeed and, and all that other stuff. So it translates well. Char, thank you so much for joining on the show today. We're at time already. I'm going to pronounce your last name again. You tell me if I got it. Char Durafsha. That's perfect. All right, nailed it. So you're Duraf Shashar on Twitter. Folks might be able to see that in your lower third. There you are. And servicebot underscore IO also on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining me today, sir. It was a pleasure. Thank you. As producer Xander takes us out with our microconf theme, I want to mention the SaaS Podcast Awards. We heard about them at the top of the show with the fun little promo video. Uh, all about SAS Podcast Awards. So SASPodcastAwards.com, you can head over and please nominate. There's four different categories. Nominate some folks. We're hoping to shine the light on some podcasts in our space. Also, as always, thank you to Hay and Stripe. They make everything we do just a little bit easier. They are our headline partners for the year and MicroConf loves being partnered with them. I look forward to seeing you next Wednesday, same time. Same place. See you then.